You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. I'm excited about this class. I like this topic a lot. It's very helpful. Um, And so we'll get after it. Uh, Let me pray for us, and we'll start. Dear Jesus, um, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have made um, the mystery of... Uh, the mystery of the world, the mystery of your truth, the mystery of your redemption. You've made it known to us, and uh, pray that you would um, that you would communicate your uh, your gospel to us through your Spirit in a way that would give us hope, comfort, and peace, and that would uh, bring us to a place where we love and worship and glorify you more in our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Okay. So, uh, purpose of this class. This is uh, this is a one-off class today. Uh, hey, Mary Bradley. Um, this is a one-off class, and uh, it is going to talk about how uh, the redemptive narrative uh, eases parental anxiety. Um, I know that I know that you know most of us here we don't struggle with anxiety and fear as it pertains to our kids and their lives and their decisions and how we're doing as parents and all that kind of stuff. Um, kidding, of course, but um, but yeah, uh, we're going to talk about how uh, a lot of times in our parenting. Um, we lose sight of the narrative of the gospel. Um, and when we lose sight of that, when we forget about that, uh, it creates a lot of confusion and fear and inner turmoil. Um, before I go too far, here's what I mean when I'm talking about redemptive narrative. Uh, and, and we'll get in more detail about this. But basically, uh, when you look at the Bible, uh, you see that the Bible, you know, it's, it's not a story, it's not like mythology, but it, but it is a narrative. It is an historical narrative of God's redemption of the world through Christ. You know, the, the, the Bible starts with, um, with you know, the creation of the world and everything is good and well and Adam and Eve are happy in the garden um, and their relationships are right. And there's, no, there's no fear, anxiety, no pain, no death, uh, no injustice, violence, nothing like that. Uh, and, but then sin comes into the world. Sin comes into the world and it, it fractures all of the relationships. The relationship between man and God, the relationship between man and, and each other, uh, man and himself, and the man and, and the, the cosmos, the physical world. And so, um, and so all the problems in the world kind of arise out of that. And then, you know, God promises redemption right there at the beginning in Genesis 3, and we see that redemption kind of cycle and continue until Christ comes. And that's the culmination of redemption, the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes, and now that gospel message is going out into the world um, until Christ returns. And so that's, that is the, the basic arc of the Bible, uh, but that is also the arc of our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've received the gospel, um, then that now is your story. And, uh, and it's a really hopeful story to believe that the reality the narrative that we live under is that um, God has come into the world to redeem us. God is a perfect heavenly Father who's watching over us. God has sent um, has sent the Holy Spirit, the very the very presence and person of God, to live in our hearts, to be involved in our lives. Um, and and, and you know, the ultimate end of our life is you know a, a heavenly home with Christ uh, in heaven today, and, and then ultimately on the restored earth in the end. That's a hopeful story. Uh, to be a part of, but a lot of times we we forget that um, we for, forget that narrative, and and that's a lot of um, that's a lot of our turmoil. 
So uh, a, a quote that kind of got me started in thinking about this, uh, it was at the Rooted Conference uh, back in early October, and a woman named Julie Sparkman, who is a counselor, and she's also a teacher here in the Birmingham area. Um, Julie said, we are post-fall people with pre-fall needs. So we live on this side of the fall, this side of Adam and Eve standing in the garden, um, but we still have the same needs that we had before the fall for perfect relationship with God, for a perfect relationship with other people, to be perfectly known, to be perfectly accepted, to be perfectly provided for, and yet we live in a very, very flawed, imperfect world. And so the reason that kind of came to mind was she was making sense of worrying about our kids by talking in terms of redemptive narrative, pre-fall, post-fall. That's, that's, that's redemptive narrative terms. And so, um, so anyhow, so to start, I want to look at a couple of videos here. Um, these are some goodies. Uh, one it comes from the, the movie Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, gosh, you know, it's so funny. It just seems like yesterday, but this is probably a dozen years ago. It's funny how children make your, make your sense of time just <laughs> fly by. Um, but anyhow, and so you're going to see, this is Grandpa. How many of y'all seen Little Miss Sunshine? Very profane, phenomenal movie. Great movie. Um, don't, don't watch it with your, with your little kids. Um, but anyhow, so Grandpa has died. And by a kind of funny and strange turn of events, Grandpa is actually in the trunk of the car. <laughs> they are driving, they are dry, they've decided they're not going to leave Grandpa at the hospital, they're going to take Grandpa with them. And so, um, and so Olive, the little girl, she asks her dad and then her uncle what's going to happen to Grandpa. So she's asking about the afterlife. Um, and we'll kind of see here how they reply. Oh, I'm going to be so angry if this does not work. Oh, I'm going to be so, so angry. Could anyone get me a password for the day school? Anybody know the password for the day school? Um, I texted her too. Okay, well, there goes my great illustration. Oh, can I really do that? I, I mean, the lady in the tech industry. Hey, show me how that works, Liz, can you? How do I do that? But I'm, I'm so glad this is all being recorded here. Roll Tide? Anybody? That's you? Roll Tide Roll. His son set it up. Okay. Password? Here, I'll let you do that. Could you tell us the password since this will be published on the internet, Richard? Very good. Look at that. People helping people. This is the church at work, right? Right? Let's see here. If that works. Oh, look at you. All right. Yeah. Okay. Big money, big money, and look at you, Richard Cook, ladies and gentlemen.
already know, but what do you mean? All right, very, very cute. Olive is very, very cute, but what an awful, awful example of life with no narrative. Grandpa has died. This is a big deal, right? She was very close to Grandpa. And hey, Dad, what happens to Grandpa? Hey, Uncle, what happens to Grandpa? You know, nothing. They have nothing to say. There's n they live under, they have no narrative whatsoever. And particularly, it's, it's not a redemptive, and, and it's, it's, no it's not redemptive at all. Okay, so here's another, another little video here. This is an example of um, a narrative, but a false narrative. And um, you all can totally judge me on this. My favorite show is Modern Family. Uh, I love it. And, um, and so this is actually the very first episode. This is the pilot. And uh, what you're going to see here is this narrative that Claire, the mother, lives under. Um, Claire uh, has you know, ha made a lot of mistakes as a child as a teenager and as a young adult, and she is, um, you can see that Claire, the, the narrative of, of throughout the whole show, is Claire trying to micromanage her kids. Claire trying to prevent them from making the same mistakes. Claire living in all kinds of fear. Um, and so you're gonna see a little bit, the kind of the origin of that narrative that starts here and it really progresses going forward. Breakfast! Kids! So would you get them? Yeah. Sorry, a little inappropriate here for one second. All right. Come on. I was out of control growing up there. You know, I said it. I, I, I just don't want my kids to make the same bad mistakes I made. If Haley never wakes up on a beach in Florida half naked, I've done my job. Our job. Right. I've done our job. I've done our job. <laughs> 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 okay, so anyhow, you can see here that um, Claire is living under a narrative, um, and uh, you know that narrative is it's it's really all confined within herself. It has to do with her story, the mistakes that she made, uh, and she is the sinner and the hero in the narrative. Now, don't get me wrong; I'm not in any way suggesting like we know we have a big responsibility as parents, right? I don't think that's probably in this room the biggest issue. Like I think we're all pretty clear that you know and we're probably really responsible maybe we're overly responsible maybe we take too much ownership of you know too much ownership over our role in our kids lives and and, and don't leave enough to the lord um so you can see here um how my point in the the video the modern family video is to say that um that the narrative that we live under has tremendous implications for the way that we interact with our kids the way we parent uh, the way we relate to our spouses um, and just the way that we perceive and experience what's going on in our kids' lives. The, the, you know, the, the fear that we experience, the anxiety, 
um, the confusion, the turmoil, all these kinds of things. Narrative has a lot. And so part of what we're trying to, to do today is just give a little sample of what the redemptive narrative is and how that helps us as parents um, to have a sense of peace and comfort um, as we move forward with our kids. So um, first, first little scripture here, uh, gospel narrative. This is from Romans 8. This is Paul. And uh, Paul says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. All right, so when Paul uses the term spirit, sometimes he does talk about the Holy Spirit proper. Sometimes he does talk about walking in the power of the Spirit. But a lot of times when Paul um, uses the term spirit, he is talking about this new age that has been brought in by Jesus, by the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. He is talking about the age of the new covenant, the age uh, of the, that the Holy Spirit has come. So this age that is totally new um, as a product of the gospel. And so in this, in this sense, when he says those who live according to the flesh, he's talking about the flesh as a, uh, a, a mindset that uh, has no consideration of the gospel. Whereas the spirit here, talking about uh, a who live according to the spirit, they set their minds on the things of the spirit. That's basically talking about living a life, uh, believing and acknowledging that you live under um, the redemptive narrative. Like you have been brought into God's kingdom. Like Christ is the king over the world and over your life. That the Holy Spirit is with you. That God is a heavenly parent. All these kinds of realities that are a product of the gospel. Um, and so, you know, one thing we, uh, and this is going to be the main text for today, um, Romans, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 3. Um, one, of the, one of the benefits of the gospel that I think a lot of times we don't emphasize enough that we forget about, may not even be aware of at all, um, is how much the coming of Jesus helps us understand the big picture of what God is doing in human existence, in all of history, from beginning to end. Um, you know, we think about the, the benefit of the gospel in terms of Jesus has died for my sins so that I can have eternal life in heaven. Uh, Jesus has come uh, so that I am no longer walking my life alone, but now I follow Jesus as my good shepherd and as my Lord. We think about it in those terms a lot, but we don't necessarily think about it as the coming of Jesus clears everything up for us in terms of what what is the narrative of life, like what who is God, what is God doing, so on and so forth. And so Paul in Roman, sorry, in Ephesians chapter three, he um, he talks about this benefit of the gospel that Jesus has has solved the mystery. That's the term he's going to use uh, three times here. He has solved the mystery for us. We're no longer left to wonder. What is God up to? When, when is he going to save the day? How is he going to save the day? Jesus is the answer. So it says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. So Paul, part of what Paul has said, is saying here is that the mystery of what God is up to in the world um, it was revealed to him through Christ and, and by the Holy Spirit. And so a lot of these things that he is writing is, is helping people make sense of what Jesus means in the big picture and what the big picture of God's redemption is. Um, he continues, he says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets, by the Spirit. 
Um, so again, he's saying like before Jesus and before the coming of the Holy Spirit, we did not understand what God was up to. We did not understand the full redemptive narrative as we do now. And the Holy Spirit through scripture as delivered to the prophets and to the apostles, uh, put those together as one, um, has, has revealed to us the mystery. Um, he says, this mystery is that, and he's, 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 he's speaking now in specific terms, but he'll speak in broader terms. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. So a specific mystery is that the salvation that was offered to the Israelites in the Old Testament has now been extended to all peoples through Christ. Um, yeah, salvation by faith through grace is now on offer to anyone. It's not just confined to one people group. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though, I am the very least of, of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. So you can see this: there was this mystery that was hidden in God um, who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Uh, this was according to the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So he is saying that you know this mystery has been made known through Christ. And so here's the, the practical point for us is... Um, it's like we are not left in mystery about the big picture of life. Um, sure, there's certainly mystery in specific things in life. Um, but in terms of the big picture of who God is and what He, what his plans and his purposes are for the world, um, what his disposition is towards us, uh, what the end of the story is with heaven and the, and the, new, the second coming of Christ and the heavens and the new earth, like we know the story. We know the basic story, and it's a very, very hopeful story. It's a hopeful story for us. It's a hopeful story for our kids. And so I think, though, probably, um, you know, you know, for, for some people hearing this, like it could be that you're not a believer at this point, and you're still not sure on what the narrative is. I'd say for a lot of people hearing this that we are believers. We kind of do know the redemptive narrative, but we forget it every single day, right? Like whenever we start to have those tailspin moments where it's like, you know, where it starts with our child, you know, getting detention at school or it starts with our child being very defiant at home um, and, you know, they just will not poo-poo in the potty. Um, it starts there and it always ends with our kid, you know, selling drugs on the streets of Crestline or, you know, or over in Edgewood. You know, that that's... That's kind of where it always ends. Our kid ends up in prison, or you know, whatever, whatever the you know your whatever your you know worst nightmare is for your child. The tailspin, the slippery slope that we all go down, is because we totally lose sight of the narrative. Um, and so, just in brief, this is, um, and, and I've got this nice little chart. I love graphic organizers. I'm just a big fan of the graphic organizer. And this is not totally complete. Um, if you don't have one of these, I've got more up here. Um, but, uh, thanks, Elizabeth. Um, but, uh, this is not complete, but we'll go through this in just a minute. 
but just to give you a sense of kind of what it, what it looks like to apply the redemptive narrative as you think about your kids. But just to give you a, um, a very kind of brief overview of how we think about the redemptive narrative. We think about it in terms of creation, fall, redemption, glorification. So creation, God creates the world. This is Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2. Creates the world. Um, we are in perfect relationship with God. We are in perfect relationship with one another. We have a good relationship with ourselves and with the created world. There are no problems, right? And then the fall comes. Sin, all these relationships are fractured, and all the bad things of the world are introduced. Um, and then we have redemption. And redemption is not just, that chapter does not just start with Christ. That chapter starts in Genesis 3.15, where God promises that he will um, redeem what Adam and Eve had done in the garden. He promises um, that he will defeat evil. And we see the first sample of that at the end of Genesis chapter 3, um, when God uh, forgives the sins of Adam and Eve. He, uh, they had tried to cover themselves with fig leaves after their sin, and God covers them with animal skins, uh, which you know, point to substitutionary atonement, uh, substitutionary sacrifice. The animals died so that Adam and Eve could be covered. That act signifies their sins being forgiven, their sins being covered. Um, and so that's the beginning of it. And so you kind of see this cycle and you see this presence of fall, the effects of sin in the world throughout the Old Testament. Um, and you see God continually redeeming, continually redeeming. And this culminates in Jesus, culminates in Jesus. Um, and I say culminates, I guess you could almost say that it culminates really in the second coming of Christ. But um, in terms of, uh, in terms of, all of the redemption of the Old Testament points to the coming of Jesus, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And then finally, glorification is the, uh, you know, the end. Um, whether that's for us that we uh, go to heaven and we're with, you know, away from the body and with God, uh, and we're away from all the effects of the fall, or if that refers to the second coming of Christ when this world is made perfect. But that's the narrative. Uh, creation, fall, redemption, glorification. Uh, and that, that story applies to us. And so um, I want to just spend the remainder of the time uh, looking at how different parts of this narrative, uh, how we can kind of interpret what's going on in our kids' lives through a redemptive narrative. So that we're not just talking, we're not just doing a theology class, but this is something you can actually practically use. So um, in, in the, the category of creation, yeah, I think it says, uh, I, I say you know, kids are meant for a perfect world and they have desires for a perfect world. Um, and so sometimes we're surprised by the links that kids go to to fulfill their desires. You know, keep in mind, as I said that quote before, we are post-fall people with pre-fall needs. So a lot of times it's astonishing to us that a boy would try to get a girl uh, to send him naked pictures. And we're even more surprised that a girl would do that. Uh, but keep in mind, we have this deep longing for perfect acceptance. And, uh, you know, and we only find that in Christ. And so it's awful when that happens uh, on both ends, right? And, like, we shouldn't, we, should, we shouldn't necessarily be surprised or discount that our kids have deep needs that really will only be fully met in heaven. Uh, and so that they're doing things that seem outrageous and, and very unwise to us. Yeah, I mean, we lament that, and that's awful. Um, and, like, we don't necessarily be surprised, given that they were, they were made for the Garden of Eden. Um, a second thing, too, is um, 
kids were meant for perfect parents. You know, Adam and Eve weren't meant to sin. Like, they were meant to be perfect parents for our kids. And so when they sinned, that ship, it, it sailed for all of us. Uh, and so you, we all want to be the best parents, you know, we can be. Um, we all, you know, want to, when, you know, we send our kids off into the world or when we, you know, are on our deathbed, we do want to have a sense of, like, I did my best, you know. I, I left it all out on the parenting field. <laughs> um, and... You know, I think we can see with Claire in the Modern Family clip that, like, Claire operates as if she has to kind of be her kid's messiah. She has to be their savior. She has to be their God. And I think that's probably, we can all kind of resonate with that in a lot of ways. We do kind of feel like a lot of times that our kids' welfare is entirely dependent upon our performance. And just the reality is, like, we, we, cannot, we cannot come close to what they need. We cannot come close to perfection. And so that's not, no one here is going to be like, oh, well, I'm totally off the hook. Like, hey, kids, you know, open up, open up the cocktails. Let's have a beer at lunch today after church. I know that no one, I know that no one is going to take this as a, you know, a license to be a terrible, negligent parent. But we all should also kind of be realistic with who we can be in comparison to who God is meant to be for our kids. Like our kids, our kids really need God as their heavenly parent. Um, okay, fall. All right, so... Uh, this is this is a hard one, but the reality of the fall is that your child will sin. It's going to happen. Sadly, precious little baby. Um, and I definitely thought for a long time that my little girl, like somehow, she escaped the effects of the fall. Um, <laughs> dad, dads are dads are kind of naive like that. Um, but you know, our kids are going to sin, and they're probably going to sin in ways that are much worse than we than we could ever imagine. And hey, that's because we sinned in ways that are much worse than we imagine, right? Um, so we don't want to necessarily be surprised by that. And so a lot of times we underestimate the reality of their sin. And we kind of think that we can put a lot of Band-Aids up there, modify the behavior, and almost like prevent them from ever making mistakes if we just put enough boundaries and enough protections in place. Don't get me wrong, boundaries and protections are really important, right? Because we know that they're going to sin, that, that's why... We have very, very strict, you know, protections on our computers and on internets and what we let them have access to on the internet. We know that they, you know, we all kind of like darkness. That's what the Bible says. And so they're going to be enticed to go in that direction. And at the same time, like, we, um, we, it, a lot of us live the sense of dread that our kids are going to blow it. And not, you know, they aren't necessarily going to blow it to the degree that we fear, but like they are going to blow it. Like they're going to sin. And, and, you know, uh, a lot of times acceptance is a very a very freeing thing, um, especially when we get to the next part, talking about redemption. Um, a second thing, too, is like our kids are going to suffer. And I just sent, you know, my first first time to send a child to kindergarten, that just happened this year, and there was just so much anxiety for me of like, oh, my goodness. You know, it's we're no longer at God's house. <laughs> we're, we're no longer at Briarwood MDO where I have this false sense of like, I can protect my children, and you know it's gonna, everything's going to be sweet forever. Now they're playing with live ammo. Um, uh, can't control everything, um, and so there's this fear of like my child's going to get their feelings hurt. My child, you know, is going to break an arm. Um, my child, you know, all these different things are going to happen. It, it is going to happen. Like they live in the fallen world, and so um, again, that's a hard thing to accept. But it's pretty freeing when you're just kind of like not. Uh, I think in AA they call it going from, they, I'm not going to say what they say, but going from O-crud to
to no crud. Like, oh crud, they suffered. Oh crud, they sinned. To like, no crud, they suffered. No crud, they sinned. Like, this is the fall. Um, so anyhow, all right, so now this is good. things are going to get a little more uplifting here. Um, redemption. Redemption. Uh, so as we worry about our kids' sins, either, either things that they have already done, like our child did something that we are really afraid is going to cause long-term damage for them and their life. How are they ever going to recover from this? Or we kind of live projecting this fear of things they may do. Well, remember that like Christ died for their sins. Like Christ redeems sins. Like God's, the power of God's grace is bigger than the power of your child's sin. And so think, remembering redemption, the redemption part of this narrative, it gives us a little bit of comfort of like, yeah, my child's going to blow it. And like Jesus can redeem them blowing it. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of living under the redemptive narrative. Um, Christ is, is redeeming and healing all things in the world. You know, when our, our kids are going to suffer, um, they are going to have disappointments. They are going to have betrayals and conflicts. They are going to, you know, break bones and get sick and be in the hospital. Things like that just happen in the fallen world. And, um, you know, God, God can, God's a healer. Uh, Christ is sitting on his throne um, as the ultimate healer, healing all things, redeeming all things in the world. And so, and also too, like that's, that's really the stuff that God uses to like form character in your child. Like if your kid never, never suffers, your child's not going to have any character and they're not going to have any compassion for other people. They're going to have to suffer uh, if they're going to grow up into the man or woman that you want them to be, a person with character, a person who's compassionate, who really cares, a person who's humble, those things are not going to be on the table unless they have difficulties and pains in their life. And and so it's hopeful as we kind of worry, and this was, um, I read an article about this on the Gospel Coalition about, uh, um, gosh, maybe three or four years ago, but talking about, you know, my hope for my child who was born on like the one-year anniversary of, my, so my son Hutch, who turned four this week, uh, he was born on the one-year anniversary of my first child, Cameron's funeral. And so I'm like, this child is going to be special. There's something about this child that's going to be special. And Sorry, no pressure, Hutch. Um, <laughs> but anyhow, I'm like, you know, the God, God has some plan for this child's life. And, uh, and then I'm like, oh, crud. That means life's going to be really hard for him. Uh, that means he's going to, you know, he's going to have a lot of humiliations. He's going to have a lot of setbacks because there's no way. If God has a big plan for his life, then there's no way that's going to be realized unless there's a lot of difficulty along the way. Um, so, you know, a little personal narrative there. But uh, but anyhow, so there's that. All right, last, um, our kids have a perfect parent in God. Uh, so as I talked about how, you know, we try really hard to be that perfect parent, um, and, we you know, it's helpful to accept that that ship has sailed. Um, also remembering that, like, God is a perfect parent. Uh, we are provisional parents. Like, God is really their ultimate parent. And so, you know, pointing our children to, towards God, putting, turning our kids to putting their hope and their expectation in God uh, is a good thing, given the adoption part of the redemptive narrative, that when you become a Christian, you're an adopted child of God. So one, um, I, I, I've talked about this in a previous class, I think two previous classes this semester, but about this gospel catechism, where, like, when, I, when I'll, and we, um, if you need it, I can email it to you. It's actually on the Rudy website, but... Uh, so when I drop off my kids at school, I'll ask them these like six questions. I'll say, uh, what does gospel mean? Good news. What's the good news? Jesus died for my sins. Why did Jesus die for your sins? So I can have a relationship with God. Who loves you the most? God. Who loves you the second most? Mommy and daddy. 
what can you do by God's power and grace? Hard things. I got that one from Tommy, by the way. Thanks, Tommy. Um, uh, so I say, you know, and I would say this to like our ba- when our children are babies, when you're like putting them down, you know, like, give them a little kiss, gently place them into the crib. It's like, Daddy loves you so much, but remember, Jesus loves you the most. Jesus loves you better than Mommy and Daddy. That's a, that, that is a recognition that I am a flawed parent, and I want them to look to God to be to be their ultimate hope, their ultimate expectation, their ultimate guide in terms of a parental figure. That's no abdication of my role. I want to do my best. Um, but I also, <laughs> this is this is not going to work for them. This is not enough. Um, so anyhow, okay, so there's that. So finally, last thing, uh, glorification. Um, our kids will find total satisfaction and glory. Um, where we tend to forget this, we have an expectation that our kids will be totally satisfied and, and, and we stress to make everything perfect. I think there's this, uh, especially around the holidays, um, there is this pressure of like, Christmas must be perfect, you know, or the trip to Disney World must be perfect. Uh, the birthday party must be perfect, you know. I'm definitely tend to, I tend to be that way, especially with family trips, because those are like my fondest memories growing up. But, um, but you know, uh, and we feel that, how many people here feel that around the holidays? Yeah, right, every woman just raised their hand. Anyhow, um, yeah, and so certainly it would be great for God to bless it, and we want there to be lots of joy and magic and all that kind of stuff. And, like, this side of heaven, like, nothing's going to be perfect. So that that is meant to give us a sense of freedom of, I, I want this to be nice, but I cannot effectuate anything that's perfect. If anything's really good, it's going to come from the Lord. And so that that's just very relieving for us um, in that way. Finally, Christ will return to redeem the world. I don't know about you guys, but I mean, this uh, this parenting thing is no joke. <laughs> uh, and it is it is stressful, you know, and then especially when your kids start to drive. Oh, there's just this sense of like every time they leave the house. Um, I, I've experienced this vicariously when I see like a new youth group kid who I've seen them from confirmation. Now they have their license, and I'm like, you can't drive. No, you're too little. Anyhow. But you know, there's that that trepidation, there's that fear, um, and from what I understand, from what I'm told by older parents, like it really never goes away. You know, like when you're a a 60 something year old parent or a 70 something year old parent, you have adult children, and they're struggling with different things in their life, or their job, or their marriage, or their kids, whatever. Like you vicariously, su- you know, struggle with them, and uh, that that's not to say, you know, we don't suffer without hope. You know, we don't struggle without hope. There is the hope that of all these things we talked about in the redemptive category. But there is there is a hopeful thing of like we're not always going to. You know, there is a there is a day in heaven where we'll be absolved um, from all of this difficulty, um, from all of this fear and anxiety. And so anyhow, so that's that's um, yeah, that's all I have. Uh, anybody have any questions or comments, feedback? Um, I think my bottom line thing is that we're going to have to every day go back to remember the gospel. We have to go back and remember these truths. And when we find ourselves worried or anxious, that's usually a good indicator to us. Uh, maybe we can pray the Holy Spirit will prompt us to say, "I'm not. I'm probably not in this moment here. I'm probably not living under the redemptive narrative. I'm probably not uh, walking according to the Spirit, as Paul says. I'm forgetting that Jesus has come." He has died. He has risen. He sent his Holy Spirit for us. And so, anyhow, great. Yes, gun dog. One quick question. Yes. Um, one thing, and I'd just love to get y'all's feedback. 
So <coughs> when correcting your children, right, that something's going on and they're having like re repeated issues with listening or follow, whatever it is, thought instructions, and there's like this consistent discipline or correction or whatever, mm -hmm. and then your child, I know for us sometimes Helen will get, she'll sort of say like, I'm never going to get this right, or I'm, you know, I'm I'm just bad at that, or whatever. Yeah, right. right? Or I'm the most awfulest person in the world. Right. May have heard that sometime I'm recently. I'm the most awfulest person in the world. Exactly. So, at what, you know, try, I try to come in and separate the child from the behavior. Like, no, you are a child yeah. of God. And mm -hmm. that's the way that you're acting is this other thing. You know, yeah, right. We're trying to help with. But what else is there to say? I mean, what else can we do where we're not just coming down so hard on her that she's like, I will never amount to anything. I mean, you know. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think one thing that I'll consistently say <laughs> is, um, and I remember saying this yesterday, uh, honey, like, you're a sinner, daddy's a sinner, mommy's a sinner. Like, we're all sinners. We all make mistakes, uh, you know, every single day. And that's why Jesus came. Like, Jesus came to forgive us and give us grace. And so I kind of do, you know, that they are kind of... Uh, we don't want them to go to this place of shame right. of like, I am worthless, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, that's because that's not, that's of the devil, that's not of the spirit. Right. Um, but I but I do, that if, if they are owning that they are a sinner, that's that's like probably the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. We want them to own that. Um, but we all don't want them to own that without the recognition of God's grace. Yeah. And so I think every time I um, am in a sound mind, uh, and I'm and my you know and I'm disciplining a child. I'll say to them, "You're a sinner. Daddy's a sinner. I want to put my skin in it too, um, you know, so that they so they don't so they don't see me as a hypocrite because I'm going to lose my temper or you know act unreasonable within the next two minutes. Um, but yeah, so you're a sinner. I'm a sinner, and that's why Jesus came. You know, God's grace is big enough. So yeah, yeah. Um, anything else? Yes. Sure. How do you remind yourself of, um, of this yeah. narrative? You know, right. Like you said, when you're in the heat of the moment and sure. you're wanting to watch a video on YouTube and you want them to do something else, or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Or not less following instructions. Right. How do you remind yourself in those moments? Sure. Yeah, I would, say, I would say for myself, that's probably the value of like my own personal devotional life. Mm -hmm. Like my own time in the morning where... Um, the baby has woken up and I put him in my lap and I read my Bible and I say my prayers and that kind of stuff. I think that's why, I think for parents, you know, probably, especially for dads, um, probably the, the most important part of our parenting is our own daily relationship with Jesus. Like our own, you know, own, own time of, uh, whether, and in that, you know, that could, that could mean like, you know, when you're in the car listening to a podcast, that could mean sitting down and reading your Bible. That could mean praying, uh, you know, praying in the car, praying in the shower. Um, because, you know, real, especially, you know, getting kids out the door and all that kind of stuff, it's just like a it's chaos. Um, so I'm not saying, like, you you know, we all have our 30 to 45-minute quiet time. That's just not necessarily, that's ideal. That's not necessarily realistic at a lot of seasons of life with small kids especially. But however it is, um, however it is, like, us personally connecting with God every day, um, I think that's probably the, um, probably the best thing we can do to kind of be walking under this narrative. Yes. I was just to say um, two things. One, going along the lines of what you were saying about um, admitting our son to our kids, mm -hmm. I found, especially with my five-year-old, that 
um, apologies go a long way. Like when I just like come to her and say, I owe you mm-hmm. a big apology. You know, I've really messed up. Yeah. Um, bedtime, Best way you can share the gospel with your kids is to apologize to them. And bedtime has become a really challenging time at our house. Just a lot of negotiating and arguing and demands yeah. and and yeah. I'm thirsty and whatever. You didn't feed me enough dinner. I'm starving. Um, I now, like, what I, when you were talking about the reminders during the day, I've started to try to like head, like I know going into that situation, yeah. it's probably going to end in me apologizing. And so I just have started like right before I walk in her door, throw to bed, I just like pray. Because yeah. I'm, like, I know that I want to go in there and I want to like, you know, really lose my temper. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I do all the time. Then I yeah. apologize. I'm like, I shouldn't throw things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, but it like it helps so much, like, especially if I'm a lone parent that night. If my husband's traveling or something. Yeah. To say a prayer and then walk in the door. Yeah. And then like I've set boundaries for myself. And then if it ends an apology, like, it just it's almost taken that element out of it. Yeah. So, like that's been really helpful. That's really good. That's really really good. Uh, I think we're running out of time, so I'm going to say a quick prayer and let everybody go. Uh, thanks for your time. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much that you have come to us and made known to us the hopeful narrative that we live under. May we all have hope, peace, and joy um, and be able to view our parenting as a gift. Ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.